0: Did you
1: just ask if the candle is too loud?
0: Because sometimes the ones with the cedar wicks make noise.
1: This is not one with the cedar wick. Uh-huh. This one doesn't even have any little bits of flowers left in it. This is just wax?
0: Yeah. It's so loud. It's
1: so loud? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 13 of The Last Battle. This chapter is called, How the Dwarfs Refused to be Taken In. I'm King Peter's mom, um, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host.
0: I'm a hack at rugger. Ah. Also known as Chris.
1: You're, you're, you are a, you are a rugby knee injury. Got it. <laughs> okay, is that what that means?
0: Because <laughs> I wasn't sure.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure based on the fact that his knee hurts from a hack at rugger, I think he was probably playing rugby and got hit in the knee with a, a hack as wasn't, an action. Okay,
0: I wasn't sure if that was like a position or like an animal or like, I don't, I, don't know.
1: Know. I don't know. I don't know. That's my <laughs> assumption. I didn't actually Google if in 1956 they referred to rugby as rugger. rugger. I didn't do that. But, you know, what ifs. Could Let's be. go down to the old
0: rugger field and have us a, uh, have us a time. A match. Yep. Anyway.
1: Anyway. Sorry hello. to offend
0: any rugby fans who are listening.
1: I mean, it, we may not even <sighs> be talking about the right subject uh, in, at all. It's
0: entirely possible. All
1: oh. right. Uh, Hey!
0: Or should I say aloha?
1: You should not.
0: We're doing a... You really
1: shouldn't.
0: We're doing a rare nighttime record.
1: We are. I was just about to say that. Uh Uh-huh. We're doing a rare nighttime record. Today, I got to go to a rock and gem show with a very... uncharacteristically excited eight-year-old he enjoyed that very much good
0: you didn't Uh, take any pictures of the rocks or gems
1: i did not i was having too much fun hanging out and avoiding getting my phone out uh so as to avoid any uh child demanding of pokemon playing that makes sense yeah
0: well you should be uh I don't know, less mad at me than usual doing this podcast because I've just given you a delicious food. Yes. You're not hungry. Amazing dinner. Um, so, cool. Have we bantered enough yet? Yep. Cool. Um. Anyway, check that one off the old list. How do we start this podcast, Rustin?
1: Well, the first thing we do is we uh, read our summaries.
0: I was going to point out the fun fact. I think our very first episode ever recorded at night.
1: Yes, I it do. Was believe a, we did.
0: It was a dark time it
1: outside. Was a dark time outside. Yep. Um. <laughs> we recorded in the dark. Yep. Outside, but we, the light inside.
0: And we tried to do a tea time with tumnus as our segment, and
1: yep, we were recording yep. on the autumn in the living room at yep. that point.
0: Yep. And you really didn't want to have tea uh, with caffeine in it, and I don't think we had any decaf tea, so it was a whole like debacle at yep. the time.
1: It was. It was a bit. It was a bit of a mess. Anyway, now that we've reminisced, uh, summaries. What we do is, as Chris and I are reading through the chapters, uh, we select five sentences out of the chapter and try to summarize the chapter with the chapter's own words and a bunch of uh, loosely contextual sentences. Um, Would you like to read your uh, summary first?
0: Sure, let me just turn to that, and I'll go ahead and read that for you. In reality, they stood on grass. The deep blue sky was overhead, and the air, which blew gently on their faces, was that of a day in early summer. There was a frightful roar, and something hit me with a bang, but it didn't hurt. Then the dwarfs all cocked their heads as if they couldn't see anyone, but were listening hard and were trying to guess by the sound what was happening. Then he fixed his eyes upon Tyrion, and Tyrion came near, trembling, and flung himself at the lion's feet. And the lion kissed him and said, Well done, last of the kings of Narnia, who stood firm at the darkest hour. They will not let us help them. Anyway, it was a hard one to summarize, so that was a...
1: It was a difficult one to summarize. You got a really good sentence, though, the well-done last to the kings of Narnia. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think about using that sentence, but it worked out well in the summary. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and read mine. Cool. When they had eaten enough, Eustace said to King Peter, you haven't yet told us how you got here. Only a few yards away, clear to be seen in the sunlight, there stood up a rough wooden door and round it the framework of the doorway. Nothing else. No walls no roof aslan said lucy through her tears could you will you do something for these poor dwarfs they will not let us help them he raised his head and roared now it is time then louder time then so loud that it could have shaken the stars time
0: you're supposed to like scream that last line or
1: something.
0: Time! Wow, I could shake the stars. Time.
1: I don't know how to roar. Time.
0: <laughs> We've been doing this podcast for this long. You don't have a good Aslan impression yet. I you, don't. You can't roar like. Time. Let's, let's not get into your elephant impression. Right. um <laughs> I
1: was gonna, I was Anyway. Do it and then... <laughs> That have ooh, but to justify myself, I was recently watching an episode of Taskmaster and somebody had to impersonate an elephant uh-huh. with sound effects only uh-huh. And it was fabulous uh, because it was just as awful as my impersonations of an elephant. And then they were. Everyone was laughing at them, and they were like, "Well, what would you do?" And then everyone else tried to do their impressions of an elephant, and they were all just as bad as mine. So it's a hard crater to do an impression. I of. know, but I appreciated it anyway. Back to the chapter. Difficult cool. chapter to summarize.
0: Yes. Uh, Tell
1: us what happened.
0: Um, man. Uh, so everybody went into the stable, or at least some people went into the stable uh jill and eustace got thrown in there um Tyrion goes in kind of willingly uh and takes the tarkan with him yeah uh and then they're not in the stable, stable anymore they are in fact in this summery open field or grove with lots and lots of fruit trees and let us talk about the fruit because the fruit well i love what you right have away.
1: i love that you've finally now gotten to this chapter uh
0: well, I was all of a little that background. happened in the last chapter
1: yeah. And we rejoin our crew as they uh, discuss going to get some fruit. And Tyrion is looking around in awe at what it is that he is now experiencing of this place. Sunshine, trees.
0: Fruits that no one's seen in our world. Fruits
1: that no one has seen in our world fruits that each one of them were drawn to different fruits and they didn't know if they could eat them but they didn't think that there w- uh, uh but king peter said like it doesn't feel like there would be any rule against it here
0: yeah i have a seems feeling
1: very um uh i don't know weird
0: uh he says i have a feeling we've got to the country where everything is allowed
1: okay wow wow
0: no rules here uh, and then they all dive in and ate fruit. Um, unfortunately, no one can, des- can describe a taste.
1: Yeah. I don't know
0: if I agree with Lewis on that. Yeah. Um, you can describe a taste. Now, can you describe a taste without... Is
1: he, does he say that you can't describe a taste or that he can't describe the taste of the fruit?
0: It says, unfortunately, no one can describe a taste. That is word for word, the line. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's not how I read that line, but uh-huh. okay. I thought he meant, like, nah. none of them could describe the taste of the fruit that they yeah. had. Yeah,
0: but... I, I read that, and I was just like, you can. Now, it's really hard to do that without using other taste words. Yeah. But you can very much describe a taste. Like, even comparing it to other things. But, well, I mean, I mean,
1: and that's what he does. He sits there and compares it to all kinds of different stuff. He compares it to the softest pear... And the juiciest orange and the most delicious grapefruit or something. Yeah. Says all of these flavors pale in comparison. Like Uh the juiciest orange would seem uh, dry compared to this fruit. Yes.
0: Um, And I want to come back to this because I feel like as inane as this little paragraph description of the fruit in this place is, it does call into question our ever-present uh, concern of who the narrator of this story is. Yeah. And I feel like this chapter creates massive problems for figuring out exactly who the narrator is. Yeah. Ultimately. So we can, we can circle back to that. But uh, they eat some fruit. Cool. They refresh themselves. Uh, and then they are like, hey, Peter, by the way, how are you here? Because yep. you weren't here before, and, you know, how did you get to Narnia? Uh, and then Peter is just like, oh, yeah. Uh, what I remember is standing on a train platform, and I thought, oh, hey, that train's taking that curb too fast. And that's about it.
1: Yep. Uh, there was a roar. So, and Edmund says, there was a frightful roar, and something hit me with a bang, but it didn't hurt. I think that was Edmund.
0: Yes. Uh, so... Edmund says that. Uh, basically, they were, you know, Peter and Edmund uh, and Lucy, I believe, were all on the platform.
1: Yeah, well, okay, and this is where I got yeah, really confused, it's... because I thought that Polly and Diggory and Edmund and Lucy and Peter were all on the platform.
0: Well, no, Polly and Diggory were on the train.
1: I didn't realize that until, like, the second time I read through this chapter.
0: Yes. Um, so they all die in a tragic train accident.
1: Yeah, probably. (laughs) Also, uh, their other people were on the train, too.
0: Yeah, um, their parents, which,
1: where are they at? Well, I mean, they they didn't really care about Narnia. They didn't know about (laughs) Narnia. Yeah. Jill goes, you mean to say that they had something to do with Narnia? He's like, no, they just came to visit and, uh, happened to be on their way to Bristol. And, uh... Were probably because Edmund knows stuff about railways, and we trust Edmund's knowledge of the railways. They were probably on that train too.
0: So, let's let's take a minute to talk about the very hard left turn this series takes here in the final chapters of this book, uh, where f- we've been following uh, these kids for years through their mm-hmm. adventures in Narnia, and like them as royalty and et cetera, et cetera, and uh, then they all die as
1: as teenagers. Yep. Wow. Yeah. They're all dead. Post-war dying in a train accident.
0: Uh, I mean, if they're the lucky, lucky ones, uh, you know, Peter and Edmund and Lucy and Polly and Diggory, or, yeah, Polly and Diggory, who die in a train accident. The others just get killed by Tash or something? I don't know. We, we Do not do we understand how Jill and Eustace end up here, too? Or are they still alive and they came through the door?
1: They Well, they were on the train when the train crashed. Oh, yeah. and Eustace even well, no. said earlier I thought that we were about to crash you felt that rumble before we got called into Narnia
0: I mean they weren't on the train Like, if if we're going with the theory that they physically go into Narnia then they were no longer on the train yeah but
1: they also might have been we don't know so either they're dead or they're not dead but one way or the other if they died in Narnia by getting thrown into the thing yeah. they're not going back to our world possibly
0: yeah, it's very confusing. But we also
1: don't know if they physically go or not.
0: Um, God, that's a depressing plot point, though. Yeah, isn't it? they're all
1: dead. <laughs> they're all dead, and they're all in Aslan's country. Yeah. With this amazing fruit. That bothered me. Um, yeah.
0: I don't know. I just. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. It's a. It's a weird way to end a story. Yeah. Uh huh.
1: I mean, it's the apocalypse story, so everyone has to die. But yeah,
0: I mean, it's—I don't know—feels much less poetic than like, oh, hey, we're gonna go and get on a boat and sail away to the undying lands and Valinor.
1: Oh yeah, or uh, or Cheap getting on his little boat and sailing up the wall of water at the end of the world.
0: Yeah, where's Reepicheep?
1: Where's he at? An excellent question.
0: Uh, it—I mean. There's just so many questions I have from this chapter that it's hard to parse them all together. Yeah. But, like, you know, why are Jill and Eustace there? Did they die? Are they alive? Like, what happened to their, like, were their bodies on Earth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all that stuff.
1: Is Tyrion dead?
0: Yeah. I Is mean, Tyrion cause dead? If
1: Tyrion's dead, then yeah. so are Jill and Eustace.
0: Because we, we never actually see anything that would have killed Tyrion, because, like, he comes face-to-face with Tash, and Tash gets banished, and so why would Tyrion be dead?
1: But he's also not in Narnia anymore.
0: Yeah. Like... Who's alive and who's dead here. Um,
1: and he, and it says again, when he goes back, they tell him, like, oh, yeah, the door's over there. And he's like, what door? And then, like, realizes, oh, the door that he came through is still there, just standing out in a field, just like the door in the air that Aslan had made in a previous book for them to go back to Earth through. We have this door just standing there with its with its frame. Yeah. And he goes and looks through the cracks in the door and sees back into Narnia. Yeah. And he is referred to... The the, the battle going on out there is referred to as his last battle. Uh-huh. So he's not going to go back to Narnia or he's not going to go back to uh, a place where he would ever battle. Correct. And so we also have... Aslan refer to him as the last king and give him his good and faithful servant line later, so yeah, it's very much like a indication that Tyrion is dead. Basically, he's crossed through the door.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't matter if he got killed or not. For all intents and purposes, he is passed on from this mortal coil.
1: Yeah, but also at the same time. We then have them describe... uh, We have Peter and and Edmund and Lucy, mainly Lucy, describe everything that they've seen since getting here. Yeah. And they saw a sentry come through, a calumny man standing inside the door, couldn't see them, couldn't hear them. And then we saw the cat. We saw Tash show up. We saw the young man come in after the cat ran away. And that young man fought the sentry, who had been hiding in there the whole time to kill anyone who came in, just like everyone had suspected was happening. And so there was still the opportunity for someone who oh, was sorry, inside the you, door. Eustace
0: figured it out. Eustace figured it out. Sorry. I have to interrupt your uh, your storytelling to say I figured it out and how it okay. happened.
1: All right. Eustace. I'm doing a bit here. Let, let the know. lady speak. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yep. And so...
0: I do like this little callback, though, uh, that Eustace has there with, like, just a little bit of his, like, old character of being, like, a, a smarmy know-it-all coming back.
1: Yeah, just and, like, a little
0: that's...
1: bit. It's a little bit still there. Yeah. It's a touch of who he who, who he was. Uh-huh. But, yeah, we have um, this whole description of everything that they thought was going on, but, like, the sentry had come into the wood to the to to wherever they are i'm I'm gonna call it the wood between the worlds I'm going to call it aslan's country I don't know where they are yeah, but like the that sentry had come through the door and he didn't see anything about where he was yeah and he then got killed here in this wood, yes and got thrown back through the door
0: yeah it's this it's this really weird uh
1: so so you can die here
0: yes apparently i don't know i mean it's this weird situation where like the stable and this place exists in the same space yeah it all exists
1: within the mind of whoever's there i wouldn't say that well i mean that's what it is for the dwarves
0: yeah the dwarves
1: the whole stable still exists in their mind and they're imprisoned in this stable uh-huh. Of their own creation in their minds. But we'll get to that when we actually get to that part.
0: Yeah. I mean, the way I've read it is more of like a, uh, I don't know. There
1: are subsets of this place.
0: Like alternate reality type situation or like other dimension or something like that. Yeah. Where like.
1: Is it like yeah. Guinan who's always in the uh, the Nexus?
0: Yeah. Something like that. It's 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 weird. It's.
1: Is it like not linear time? Uh-huh. You exist here. It is not linear.
0: It's not linear. Uh, yeah, it's like a space within a space or like, you know, layered realities or something like that, whatever. So um,
1: are they seeing the true depth of reality and like as the primary characters and then like the sentries and the dwarves are just seen uh, through a veil?
0: maybe it's it's very unclear yeah the language is very vague but also like that's on purpose because i don't think he's trying to describe like physics here or like how both of these places occupy the same reality i don't think that really matters uh but it's it inside is
1: famous. bigger than it's outside
0: yeah it's a tardis um it's the tardis Ibo? i mean there was one time in our world that a state you know on earth a stable held something that was bigger than the whole world.
1: Yep. It's uh it's an illusion.
0: And I I read that line and I was just like, L- Lewis Clive Jack, can I call you Jack? Uh, <laughs> say Jesus, man.
1: Just say Jesus. Say, just say Jesus. Say Jesus.
0: You want to so bad. It's the last book. You're in the last chapters. You're wrapping it up. You're never gonna write another book in this series. Yep. Just say Jesus. Yeah. It's, a, it's a name we have not said throughout the entirety of this series.
1: Yeah. But to just be like, there was a stable in our world that held something bigger than the whole world.
0: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, That being said, uh, so they saw, yeah, they were in this other plane. They saw this whole event uh, play out. So, like obviously there's action happening there at the same time that they're able to observe it. Yep. Like the, the timeline works where they can just be like, yep, that's happening right there. Cool. Yeah. And we have,
1: we have Tyrion look through the holes in the door and see active stuff happening outside. It's a
0: little portal. Maybe it's just a wormhole and that's all it is. Um, anywho, I think we've lost the plot here. Uh, (laughs) so do they see the door, uh, I want to point out that Lewis does call it, like, the queerest thing you could possibly imagine. And I'm just like, we've seen so much weirder stuff in these, these We books. really
1: have. Like,
0: all the people standing here have seen much stranger things. Like,
1: in Jill, fact, Jill and Eustace went In fact, went half to the... of these people have seen a door just be blown into existence in the middle of the air and then go through it from Narnia and end up on Earth with half the Telmarines.
0: Yeah. Which is less like... oh, Who no. were
1: born in Narnia.
0: Yeah. Like... And, like, the two of them who have been on the Dawn Treader adventure and, like, which the oh, whole thing yeah. was a fever dream. Yeah. But, like, no, this door standing in the middle of nowhere, that's the weirdest thing you could possibly imagine.
1: Yes, but was <sighs> it was it just talking about Tyrion's perspective on that? Because that's the impression I got. That it was, Tyrion looked and saw the queerest and most ridiculous thing you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, it says you can imagine, but yeah. also, like, it's a door. Yes. Yes. I've seen pictures of door frames in ruins all the time. Like
0: We once went into a bathroom where like there were many pictures of doors all over the place.
1: Oh yeah, the pictures <laughs> of doors. I haven't sent her a picture of a door in a while.
0: So they describe all the events that happened, and then uh, somebody asks about the doors and is like, Oh hey, I hope Tash ate all of them, said Eustace, who's very angry at the dwarves still.
1: Of course. They're treacherous. They killed all the horses. Yep. Uh, they Lu- cost them Narnia.
0: Yes. And Lucy was just like, oh, no, they're here. Yep. Like, uh, we've tried to, to talk to them. But, uh... but
1: they're removed from the door is the interesting part. Because Tyrion walked up to the door and looked through the hole, and the dwarves were not immediately behind him, still within the 12 feet that the stable would have been. Yes. So they've moved away from the door, but in their minds they're still, in their experience, they're still inside the stable, which I found odd.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, uh sorry, a lot of thoughts. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of thoughts. Um, there's a lot <sighs> going on with the dwarves, especially, let me flippy paper soundies. Yeah, with the dwarves especially cuz I I I have a note. The dwarves are in a prison of their own minds. And Diggle, this dwarf who's smoking a pipe who I was going to introduce myself as at the beginning. Um is very much, like, vocal about, like,
0: we're in here and
1: we're still for the dwarves and all of these things. Like, dwarves are for the dwarves. No one can take us in with whatever it is that they're saying. Like, I don't know. It's just, there's a there's a lot yeah. to the blatant rejection that the dwarves have of anyone's help. Yeah.
0: Well, so... Lucy leads them on, and, you know, Tyrion and everybody uh, who wasn't there before sees the dwarves. They're all sitting around in a circle. Uh, they all are, you know, yelling and being like, you know, it really seems like they can't see anything. They they keep talking like they're in pitch blackness. Yeah, they're like, don't they run into They can't see anybody walking us. around. We're here. Yeah, they're in the pitch black stable. Uh, they, can, they can talk to and hear the people. Yeah. Like, they can communicate. Yeah. Uh, but they
1: can't see them, so they can hear. They can't see. Lucy challenges their sense of smell.
0: Uh huh. Which doesn't work either. Does not. Uh, they've got long COVID. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> they yeah, do because
1: she... they they very much uh, don't smell or taste accurately.
0: Yeah. Uh, she to holds this up some reality. So she holds up some fresh flowers, and the dwarf is just like, "Oh, gross! Get that stable litter out of here! What are you doing?" There was
1: a thistle in there. You hurt my nose.
0: Yeah. Um, and they have this long back and forth where, like, they're trying to convince them that they're not actually in the stable and they won't have any of it. They're just like, nope. Yep, uh, and... Yeah, uh... I mean, this... We come back to this a little bit, uh... You know, when Aslan shows up. Spoilers. Uh...
1: Jesus!
0: And he's just like, you know, you've already said the line their prison is only in their own minds, etc., etc. Yeah. (sighs) This is a really fascinating conception of hell.
1: Is it hell? Is it really hell, though? Because Tash comes in and takes the Kalermians somewhere else. Yeah. Consumes the monkey. We yes. find out, like.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I—that's how I read it. Like, yeah. If not so hell, you then.
1: read this as hell for the that the dwarves are in hell.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's this line that really bothers me from a theological perspective. Really would love to ask Lewis about this.
1: When Aslan shows up Uh, and he says, I'll show you what I can and can't do.
0: Well, no, not that. I think that was interesting. When he says, they have chosen cunning instead of belief. Ah, yeah. Uh, And theologically, that's very bothersome uh, when you're talking about this in like a eschatological sense or like a, uh, uh, a sense of the beyond or the afterlife or whatever. Because in pretty much all Christian thought, uh, you know, the, the realm of God and heaven and, and you know, the beyond or the new earth, whatever, what what have you, where God dwells, is, you know, that is seen as the ultimate reality. Like, that is, that is it. That is as real as you can get. Like, not that...
1: I mean, that's commonly what is taught in Christianity where it's just like, no, you're going to get your new body and we go to the new heaven and all, like you're renewed and all of this. Yes. But also like humans weren't made to just be in heaven. Humans were made to be on earth. And so when you talk about the new heaven, it's also the new heaven and the new earth. Yes. Like humans are renewed in a new environment that was designed for them. Yeah, and so like talking about there. Yes, I agree with you. Lots of lots of Christian presentation of heaven is, or uh, yes, we're finally beyond this mortal coil and we have finally transcended it, and we finally transcended it. But that's not necessarily the idea that's actually presented in scripture. Yeah, I mean,
0: more so than that. My point being that. They are incapable of, like, seeing or interacting with or anything about Aslan, seemingly because Aslan says they've chosen cunning and they've chosen logic over belief. And that doesn't jive with, like, Aslan being a real figure. Like, you don't have to believe in reality to see
1: it. Yeah, but we also established in Prince Caspian that even the Pevensies couldn't see Aslan. Yeah. When they were not trusting in him. Yeah. And even Trumpkin couldn't see Aslan up until the moment Aslan threw him into the air.
0: Yeah, which I think works as an allegory when you're talking about, like, oh, having faith in this mortal life and believing in uh, a god and the will of God when you can't necessarily see or experience it. But when you're talking about, oh, hey, we're in Gazlan's country, like, we've crossed over to the other side, Aslan is physically here with us, but you still can't see him unless you believe he's there i don't know it seems weird to me yeah it like it's 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 taking a step away from what i think is a core tenet of lewis's theology and his nonfiction works where you know he has tried to come to a lot of very logical arguments for god
1: and, and being like, cunning is what you're saying
0: yeah and being like if you think about it like God is the thing that makes sense like this is the way the universe works like he uses a lot of logical arguments to get there and be like ultimately it's a question of faith yet you can also have a logic to it and it makes sense that God exists mm-hmm. and I think he's he's kind of stepping away from that here in a weird way and being like yeah no don't think about it too hard yeah <laughs> so I don't know uh, I mean, obviously we've we brought up many times throughout the books where uh
1: We also really strongly have the, the theme here with the dwarves that they don't want to be in submission to anyone. Yes. Aslan, a king, anyone. Yep. And it's and it's more than just cunning. Like it's it's put down as they've chosen cunning over faith, but what it really is is they've chosen their own will over being submissive to anything or anyone. Uh-huh. So I think that's a that's an important part of the interpretation of what's actually happening. Uh-huh. However, it's not what's being stated is happening.
0: Yeah. Uh but like I don't want to dwell on this forever. I can talk about this for an hour. But good. Uh,
1: We've got a lot of short episodes <laughs> recently, so
0: No, I I do think like if this is a concept of hell, it's a really fascinating one and uh kind of taking the idea that hell is a state of mind
1: yeah which i mean it's what
0: you perceive to be
1: yeah which i mean again it is aslan giving the dwarves what they want Uh uh-huh self-governance yeah control of their own existence yeah and it is very much in line with with c.s lewis's views of hell
0: yeah it is uh now that paints like a really horrifying picture of like if you applied this to to earth theology and we're just like yeah when you get up to heaven there's going to be millions of people up there that are trapped in their heads and can't actually understand anything that's going on around them because they're actually in hell yeah like that's (laughs) that's kind of a horrifying image uh of what heaven's supposed to be yeah but
1: uh, you don't disagree
0: yeah so i don't know uh cool So, I don't think we can, we can, well, we can dive further into that, but I don't think we need to.
1: Not really, no.
0: So anyway, Aslan shows up. Hooray. He comes out of nowhere. Everybody's super excited to see him. Uh, Has his little well-done, good and faithful servant uh, deal with Tyrion. It's like, you did a great job. Lucy asks him to help the dwarves. Uh, He's just like, I'll show you both what I can and what I cannot do. Yeah. Which I think is also an interesting line of, you know. The the god figure being like I have limits on what I'm capable of.
1: Well, yeah. <sighs> uh, self imposed limitations of interfering with people's will. Yeah.
0: Um, and he comes up to the doors and tries really hard to get them to acknowledge anything. Yeah. Like uh, he goes up and he roars cries. at them, and he's yeah. just like, "Oh, that's somebody else messing with us." He gives them his whole giant feast that uh, appears before them. And they, like, partake of it and, like, they acknowledge there is something there, but they're perceiving it wrong. Yeah,
1: they're getting cabbage leaves and they get into a giant fight about who has better stuff. And they fight each other till they all have black eyes and then they all pick up their golden chalices full of wine and comment on how terrible it is to drink water out of a trough that a donkey had to drink yeah. from. Yeah. So... Such know. judgment from the dwarves on any other creatures—like, really? Like, <laughs> do they just—they're
0: a—they're a hateful, spiteful bunch, apparently.
1: It does seem that way.
0: Um, and so then we just kind of leave them alone because Aslan's like, we can't help them. They—they they have to help themselves. They've chosen this. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess kind of implies that at any point they decided to just believe their eyes would open up and they'd realize that you know what's going on around them. Yeah. So. Maybe it's not a completely bleak outlook for the dwarves, but uh, but Aslan's just like, yeah, we don't have time for this. <laughs> uh, we <we've> got other <laughs> stuff to do. Uh, takes him to the door and shouts out time a bunch of t- uh, 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 a bunch of instances in a row. I'm just trying to stop using the word time. <laughs> um,
1: shouts he says, out time "Now it's a lot. time. Then yeah. louder time. Then so loud that it could have shaken the stars." Wow
0: somewhere a cry It's just like, what the heck was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. Um, God, what a weird chapter.
1: Yeah. Grieve for a minute. Like, we just, you just killed off a bunch of characters.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, at this point, either by, uh, past, uh, death of old age or, like, hey, they got killed by a train or, like, fed to a demon bird. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nobody in the series that we can name that's actually still alive here in this moment.
1: Puzzle. I guess so. Does he get out of it? Does he get out? Don't know. But he's not here.
0: But, yeah. Interesting. Cool. So, (laughs) that's a fun happy note to end on.
1: The, uh, Farsight the Eagle so far.
0: Maybe he flew off. Anyway. Cool. So is there anything that we didn't really talk about that we need to spend more time on? Like how delicious the fruit was? Or
1: I don't know. I just think that it's really interesting that we've never had much discussion about the Pevensey's parents. And it's just like kind of weird to lump them in in this horrific train accident.
0: Yeah. We never meet them. They, didn't, they never about, even get like, names. Did,
1: did Susan just get orphaned and have three of her siblings Susan, die all that's... in the same accident?
0: Susan's alive, there we go. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Is 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 that the moral of this story is be like Susan and abandon your childish uh, fantasies of Narnia because you'll you'll you be You won't
1: die in a train accident. You'll be the
0: only one that lives.
1: <laughs> the boy what lived. Yeah. Susan, the girl that lived.
0: I mean whatever life that's gonna turn out, like imagine you getting the news being like, Yep, all of your siblings and your parents died.
1: Yep. Trying to get good s- help back to <laughs> Narnia.
0: Good. Good luck being alone.
1: Like yeah, but she's uh, got all of her invitations. She'll be
0: fine. And her, and her nylons and her lipsticks.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, Certainly. man. Yeah. I want, a, I want a follow-up book to, you know, talk about Susan's life after these events. Yeah,
1: which is, like I said, many people have asked for.
0: Yeah.
1: And Lewis was just like, Nope. I write when I'm inspired to, and I'm not inspired to write anything about Susan. And I never will be.
0: No, that would be that would involve writing about an adult woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gross. You're not wrong.
1: <laughs> You're not wrong.
0: Anyway, uh, so shall we move on?
1: Sure. Why not?
0: I I bet I bet Aslan's gonna wake up the big giant dude. Father you think time. he's
1: going to wake up Father Time and yeah. that it's going to be the end of ages and Narnia is just going to be done for?
0: Entirely possible.
1: But do you think that in the process of Aslan coming back and and that cuz it says the door flew open. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is the last sentence of the chapter after he shouts time. Yeah. Are Peter and Lucy and Edmund going to get to go back into Narnia? When Aslan told them that they never would.
0: It'd be really funny if he walked in and was just like, "All right, Tyrion, Jill, you just come out. No, hey, no, hey, not so fast, not told so fast." Told you guys. I, what did I say? <laughs> you stay what here. did I say? <laughs> Go eat some more fruit. Um, I mean, ultimately, like, oh, I get, I mean, we'll see what happens next chapter, but that whole thing just seems really contrived. Being like, all right, at the beginning of the world, I'm going to create this being. He's going to be Father Time, and he's just going to go to sleep for thousands of years. And his only purpose is to end the world whenever I call and wake him up.
1: Yep. (laughs) And Bacchus's only purpose is to tear down bridges. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, so should we move on to our next segment (laughs) for Sure. All right. Would you like me to explain that? Yeah. Cool. So in our next segment... uh, at the same time that we're going through the book and finding five sentences to summarize the chapter, we also find five other sentences and use them to uh, tell our own story in the Is in the, the chapter. Is that what i was supposed to do? Oops. Yep. And we, uh, we do a little rewrite of the chapter and, and see what we can come up with. So, Kristen, since I did my summary first, would you like to do your rewrite first?
1: Absolutely. I don't like this one at all. I just kind of threw it together because I needed to get it done. So... Here we have my uh, rewrite, my my completely new story that is nothing like the original story at all and brings a new light to the story that we just talked about. Yep.
0: It was a hard chapter to rewrite, I'll give
1: you that. The door, said Tyrion. The door flew open. Tyrion turned last because he was afraid. Can't you see me? Tyrion looked and saw the queerest and most ridiculous thing you can imagine. Okay. I also wrote Trinian. Uh, you really want to that call him last Trinian? One. I wrote Trinian. You can look him. <laughs> I wrote Trinian twice on that page.
0: Is that an artifact of the universe you came from? It was called. It was Trinian instead of Tyrion in these books. Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have a sentence in commentary, right? Shocking. That was fun.
1: Is it the door flew open? No. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, so here's mine. Tyrion looked and saw the queerest and most ridiculous thing you can imagine. They do it with a machine of some kind. Its inside is bigger than its outside. It's like your sauce. <laughs> you can't find out what it is like unless you can get to that country and taste it for yourself.
1: all right it's like your sauce yeah
0: really wanted to use that line i thought that was a really weird sentence i don't know what that means yeah i don't know what that (laughs) means
1: either
0: here i'm gonna google that just to see if we can uh, solve this mystery really quick
1: sure sure go ahead
0: yeah so if you search it's like your sauce on google in quotes the only thing that comes up is this line in this book (laughs) uh this is the thing that c.s lewis pulled out of absolutely nowhere
1: so it seems that way
0: <laughs> so there you go uh anyway Kristen would you like to go into our last segment
1: why not what's this one called it's the final conflict <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> we're gonna get sued uh <laughs>
1: 30 seconds, fair use. Uh huh.
0: So, in this one.
1: And it's a new performance. So, the performance itself (laughs) is a cover.
0: What do we. What do we do here?
1: What do we do? What do you do? (laughs) You presented the concept of having an argument. And I said, no thanks, but I'll watch you discuss two sides of a battle. Uh huh. So, what you're doing in the last battle is having is having random characters from throughout the entirety of the series of Narnia battle to the death for no reason whatsoever except that you want to know who would win. Out that's of that's fun. 16 random people.
0: Because it's pointless to do bas- baseless speculation at this stage. It's of the game. true.
1: It's very true. <laughs> However, we are currently in our final quarterfinal. Then we'll so, go to the semifinals. Yes. And then we have the final. Yes. So this is our last quarterfinal battle. And
0: this one you've been looking forward to. For this a while. one,
1: yes. Because this is our two. Because we don't have magic users. No overt magic users have been. They've all been excluded from the battle. Correct. That said, however, we have our two most magic y people, magic y non magic people yeah. uh, battling in this particular one. Yeah. And so we have. Sir Puddleglum of the Marsh Wiggles. Yes. Keeper of all things uh, water. And uh, bearer of the sacred uh, words to prevent bad things from happening. Wow.
0: You're just chalking them up in this one.
1: Against Glenstorm, centaur of Narnia, advisor to kings, reader of the stars, and keeper of the sacred knowledge of what the stars reveal. Wow.
0: Battle for the ages here, Kristen. Yep.
1: So Puddleglum versus Glenstorm.
0: Uh do you want to roll a D ten and see where we're fighting at?
1: I can do that. We have a five. Cool. Uh so this is the Don Treader top are, deck.
0: They are on the top deck of the Don Treader at sea. Alright. Yeah. Very close quarters here. Yes. All right. Glenstorm's
1: a big guy. Puddleglum's a lanky guy.
0: Yes. Uh, and problem, obviously, natural advantage, because, as you know, Marsh Wiggles do all of the water-based yeah, jobs. Yeah, he's got
1: his sea legs already. Yeah.
0: So, obviously, he's gonna be familiar with ships, like, he's got his sea legs, like, knows how to navigate the rigging, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Glenstorm's not gonna have a lot of room to maneuver here, or, like, get up to speed.
1: Uh. Also, are we specifically at the edge of the world, in the sweet waters? No. At the edge of the world? No. No. Okay. on the Dawn Treader. Wherever. For some reason i thought that it was a full description was like dawn shredder at the edge of the world in the sweet waters of the no okay uh
0: so on, they're on the deck of the ship um obviously we have puddle glum's advantages here what do we does glenstorm have any advantages coming in i like, mean obviously uh ma- massive size advantage uh is much larger and heavier yeah you can boat. um
1: he can he can rock that he can rock that ship it's not a giant ship
0: uh glenstorm obviously very wise and intelligent i think puddle is also very intelligent in his own way like puddle is not stupid at all uh and so they both have a lot of cunning and they can both come up with uh, some plans glenstorm i believe is a pretty accomplished archer do we see him at least in the movie
1: I mean, he, uh, he definitely does participate in battle, but yeah. uh, we don't really see specifics about whether he's a swordsman or yeah, uh, an archer in the book, if I recall correctly.
0: Yeah, and we do know Puddleblum is a swordsman. Yes. In the, or tries to be. Well,
1: he's also a great archer when it comes to hunting for food and things like that. So. Yeah.
0: Uh, does that. <sighs> now, I feel like we have to to match up kind of subtle, subtle magics that they both work, mm. uh, where, uh, you know, Glenstorm has this massive gift of, you know, you could even call it foresight. Like he's very wise, can read portents and signs and omens and know what's coming, whether he can do that effectively in like a battle situation. I yeah. don't know. Uh, and then obviously Blum has, you know, is a reality bender who can just, you know, speak bad things out of existence. And ensure that they don't happen, um, which we can include because this is canon at this point.
1: It's so not though.
0: Um, and so, it like, com-
1: what's actually presented in the books is that Gladstorm can interpret the st- the stars, and that's that's <laughs> what's presented in the book. Yes.
0: Anyway, um, yeah, okay. So if you're just going with what's based off the book, uh huh. Boring. Um, <laughs> I mean. We do see Puddleglum has an almost supernatural ability to avoid danger. Uh, the only time in the books he gets hurt is when he does it himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, kicks over a candle.
1: True.
0: Uh, Glenstorm...
1: He also will accept the drink offered him by the giants and get all messed up.
0: Yeah, I guess that was... a. Uh...
1: So, I would say example
0: of, of, not
1: very wise.
0: Yeah, I guess that's an example of Puddle Glum not being quite as intelligent or wise as Glenn Storm. Um, Glenn Storm, obviously. I think lo- it's
1: an inverse whiz check here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Glenn Storm, obviously, long liver. Like, we don't know how, exactly how old he is, but Centaur's lived a really long time, so it's fair to say he has a lot more combat experience than Puddle Glum does. At any rate, uh, we don't know anything about the longevity of Marsh Wiggles, but it's never yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Um, so I think when you, when you really get down to brass tacks here, the only real advantage Puddle Glum has here is maneuverability. Yeah. And he's going to be able to like dart and weave around the ship a lot better, like possibly climb up the masts and get a high ground advantage where like Glenstorm is definitely not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I think if Puddle Glum is fast enough. He can win easily. Okay. But Glenn Storm is definitely the more intelligent and cunning of the two and can probably see what Puddle Glenn is going to think about doing before he does it and come up with a plan to stop him.
1: So you think Glenn Storm's going to win, really?
0: As much as I don't want him to. Like, it's a, I feel it's a like hard you're trying
1: call. really hard to make Glenn Storm win so that you can't be accused of favoritism on the character that you think should win.
0: No, I mean I've I've talked myself into it. Like I I legitimately think. In this environment, Glenn Storm is going to take it.
1: Interesting. Even though even though that this is the most advantageous environment we could possibly okay give no, to maybe not
0: okay I don't know I don't it's okay. It's hard. Uh uh-huh. They both can't move on. Uh
1: huh.
0: Uh, I want to give it to Puddleglum. You're right uh because puddle glum is like my favorite character in this entire series yeah uh fine you convinced me we've got to move on from this segment home field advantage he's more nimble he can get up above the windstorm and just you know i don't know okay he has the high ground sure it was hard. That, I knew it was going to be <laughs> that was going to be a difficult one and it is and I don't feel right about saying either of them win. Okay. But it would it would definitely be a very long and drawn out fight. I think.
1: But then is it just a battle of attrition like every other battle? <laughs> Alright, I'm writing down that bottle of glum one. Cool. It's canon now. Alright. In the Narnia verse of the chronicle verse.
0: There we go. Who's our first fight in the semifinals?
1: Lucy versus Edmund. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's gonna be uh that's gonna be hard. You
1: wanna know what our second fight is? What's up? Corin versus Puddleglum.
0: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs>
1: So many feelings there, We're huh?
0: gonna We're going to see what happens. Yep. <sighs> all right, Kristen. You want to close right. this out?
1: Well, thank you, listeners, so much for joining us today.
0: Uh, speaking of thanking listeners, we do have to shout out a uh, fan art that we oh, received. Oh, my
1: goodness. Yes. <sighs> okay, so before we do all of our sign up and stuff, we do have to shout out to uh, Ryan on Instagram who sent us some fan art. Uh, a... Well, can I? What can I say except to read to read Ryan? What can I say? You. What can I say except to to read Ryan's own words? I probably shouldn't say last name, huh? So before we do all of our sign off, uh, we do have to shout out Ryan who sent us some fan art uh, on Instagram, and we have a wonderful fan art of Tash. Uh, wearing sweatpants because only such a dark entity would bring elastic into Narnia. Yes. Um, and so we'll go ahead and reshare that on our Instagram. And that way you can see uh, the fan art that was sent to us by at bucket.mode on Instagram, That's aka great. Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, Thanks, so Ryan. much for that. Really enjoyed that. That
0: was a delight. <laughs>
1: And yeah, so thank you so much for joining us uh, today, listening to the podcast. If you want to uh, interact with us, uh, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us or Instagram us your fan art of the door with a frame in the middle of the field, because that's the queerest thing ever.
0: Weirdest Uh, thing I can imagine.
1: And you can do that at chronicallypodcast, uh, uh, and you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast because you're cool like that, and get a shout out here. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, uh, don't fight over wilted cabbage leaves
0: and if you want to save yourself become a socialite move to america oh yes absolutely
1: <laughs> thanks uh, <laughs> i yeah. magic magicy people. Uh, magic non-magic people. I also wrote Trinian. Uh, you really want to call him Trinian. One. I wrote Trinian. You can look at <laughs> I wrote Trinian twice on that page. Susan's alive. There we go. Okay. Said Trinian? The door flew open. I said Trinian.
0: Lewis Clive, Jack, can I call you Jack? Uh, (laughs) Say Jesus, man.
1: Correct. You want to do that without a yawn? (sighs) Correct. Especially, let me flippy paper soundies. Anyway. Is the candle too loud? (sighs) Okay. Um, what, what what is his race? What is his race? He's a centaur.
0: I can tell who Kristen's favoring in no, this fight no, already. No,
1: no, 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 I'm editing all of this out. I have a whole <laughs> big intro for both of them. Okay. Glen Storm.